the Villain Wrangler, originally collaboratively written on Reddit. I wonder if, in superhero universes, the villains ever get contract contacted by those Make-A-Wish Foundation and similar people. I mean, the heroes do. Of course they do. Kids who want to meet Spider-Man or Superman or get carried by the Flash as he runs through Central City for just 30 seconds. But surely there are kids who, because they are kids and sometimes kids are just weird, decide what they really, really want is to meet a supervillain. Because he's scary or she's awesome or that freeze ray is just really, really cool, you know? Oh man, that would absolutely be a thing. The heroes would be so weirded out by it. The villains with codes of ethics would totally band together to force the villains without one, should they be the one requested to do their part for the cause. But imagine the person who has to track down the villains and organize everything. Like, the first time it happens, no one actually thinks it's possible. But one of the newbies volunteers to at least try. They get lucky. The kid wants to meet one of those villains who is well known to have a personal code of ethics, e.g. one of the rogues. And it takes them weeks to track the villain down to this one bar they've been seen at a few times, plus a week of staking out the bar. But they finally find them. So they approach the villain, very politely introduce themselves, and explain the situation, finishing with an assurance that, should the villain agree, no law enforcement heroes will be informed of the meeting. The villain, assuming it's a joke, laughs in their face. At this point, the poor volunteer, who has given up weeks of their time and no small amount of effort to track down this villain, also a sweet little girl, can meet the person who somehow inspired them. Well, at this point, the employee sees red. They explode, yelling at the villain, but the little girl, who, for some unknown reason, absolutely loved them, had made a hand-stuffed toy of them and was inspired by their struggles to keep fighting her own. Wasn't the villain supposed to have ethics? The entire bar is witness to this big bad villain getting scolded by some bookish nobody a foot shorter than them. When the volunteer is done, the villain calmly knocks back their drink, grips the volunteer's shoulder, and drags them outside. The bar's patrons assume the person will never be seen again, the volunteer included. But once they're outside, the villain apologizes for their assumption, asks for the kids' details so they can drop by the near future, not saying when for obvious reasons. They also give the very relieved volunteer a phone number to call if someone asks for them again. A week later, the little girl's room is covered in villain merchandise. Several expensive and clearly stolen gifts. She's happily clutching a stack of signed Polaroids of her and the villain. The next time a kid asks to meet a villain, guess who gets that assignment? Turns out, the first villain was quite touched by the experience of meeting their little fan, and word has gotten around. The second villain happily agrees when they realize it's the same volunteer who asked the other guy. Unfortunately, one of the heroes sees the villain entering the kid's hospital and obviously assumes the worst. They rush in, ready to drag the villain out, but the volunteer stands in their way. The hero spends live minutes getting scolded for trying to stop the villain from actually doing a good thing and almost mining the kid's wish. The volunteer gets a reputation among villains as someone who can not only be trusted with personal co contact numbers, but who will do everything they can to keep law enforcement away during their visits. The volunteer has a phone book written in cipher of all the villains' phone numbers, with asterisks next to the ones to call if any other villains give them trouble. Around the office, they gain the unofficial job title of the Villain Wrangler. 
The heroes are genuinely flabbergasted by the villain wrangler. At first, some of the heroes try and reason with them. Heroes. Can't you just give us their contact details? They'll never have to know it was you. Villain wrangler. Yeah, sure. Rolls eyes. Because all these evil geniuses could never possibly figure out that it's me who happens to be the common thread in a sudden mass arrests. Look, man, even if it wouldn't get me killed, it would disappoint the kids. You wouldn't want to disappoint the kids, would you? Heroes. No, but... Villain Wrangler. Exactly. Eventually, one of the anti-hero types gets frustrated and decides to take a stand. They kidnap the Villain Wrangler and demand that they give up the contents of the little black book of villains or suffer the consequences. It's for the greater good, the anti-hero insists as they tie the Villain Wrangler to a pillar. Villain Wrangler. You complete idiot. Put me back before someone figures out that I'm missing. Anti-hero. Excuse me? Villain Wrangler. Uh, do I have to spell this out for you? Do you actually want your secret base wiped off the map with us in it? Sugar sticks, how long has it been? If they get suspicious, they check in. If I miss a check-in, they tend to come barging into whatever I'm doing. To prove they can, even if they figure out that they're not being threatened by proxy. Suffice to say, Aunt Muriel really regretted throwing my phone into the pool when she strenuously objected to me answering it during family time. If they think for even one moment that I've given them up, they won't hesitate to obliterate both of us from their potential misery. You do know some of the people in my book have missiles and gin and elemental forces at the disposal, right? And he hero. Wait, what? I thought they trusted you. The villain wrangler. Trust is such a strong word. Villain. Indeed. Antihero. Wait, what? <laughs> Slumps over, dart sticking out of neck. The villain wrangler. Thanks. I thought they were going to hurt me. Villain. You did very well. You kept them distracted and gave us time to follow your signal. Cuts villain wrangler free. Villain wrangler. Rubbing circulation back into limbs. Yeah, well, you know me. I do whatever I have to. So, I'll see you Wednesday at 4 at St. Martha's. We've got an eight-year-old burns unit patient recovering from her latest batch of skin grafts who could really use a pep talk. A villain. Of course. Yes. I... Yes. Villain Wrangler. I just think you could really reach her, you know? Villain. Unconsciously runs fingers over mask. I... Yes. But what should I say? Villain Wrangler. Whatever advice you think you could have used most just after? Villain. Hoists anti-hero over shoulder almost absently. Yes. The villain wrangler wasn't lying to the anti-hero. They know that the more ruthless villains would not hesitate if they thought for one second that the villain wrangler would betray them. But this is not the first time the villain wrangler has gone to extreme lengths to protect their identities. Trust is a strong word. The villain wrangler earned it and is terrified by what it could mean. Line break. Okay, but this whole concept actually makes a lot of sense, because villains are more likely to be disfigured, disabled, use adaptive devices, the ableist trope. So of course, say, a child amputee is going to be interested in a villain with a robot arm who almost destroyed New York than the heroes that took him down. Also imagine one of the kids gets better and a few years down the line become villain themselves, except their crimes are things like smuggling chemo drugs across the border for families that can't afford treatment or stealing from corrupt businessmen to make donations to underfunded hospitals. 
I don't know, this turned into a leverage AU or something. And every time the heroes encounter her, they're like, Oh no, she's getting away. Curses. Well, nothing we can do. Though it isn't that she can't take them on, because of course, once the villain from way back when found out what she was up to, he started helping, training her. I thought they just hired someone to dress up and pretend to be you, she says, amazed when he reveals himself. I didn't think they actually got the real you. Every year, the villain wrangler gets a very expensive gift basket from the pair. And for the kids who don't get better, the villains are there too. They show up at every funeral. They bear two small coffins on their shoulders, and the heroes stand aside. They are fierce with grieving families, assuring them that their child will not be forgotten. They don't balk at negative emotions. They don't tell people to be strong or celebrate their child's life, because these parents have every right to their grief and anger, the lost children they had never forgotten. Flowers appear on graves during birthdays and anniversaries. Heroes find pictures of those kids, and they carefully take them down and assure they're delivered to the villain's cell. A few villains can be seen with friendship bracelets wrapped around their wrists, and the cops have learned not to try to take them off. And then, one day, one of the evil geniuses who happens to specialize in inducing bizarre genetic mutations meets a young fan who was born with a rare genetic disorder that is slowly killing them, and realizes that they can help. Another, who created their own exosuit, talks to a young fan and suddenly understands how much the technology that they have built for themselves could revolutionize the quality of life for people with muscular dystrophy or paraplegia or other disorders that confine people to wheelchairs with little mobility. A third thinks that the way their nanobots could be used to detect and remove cancer cells when their fan, who has been in remission, writes to say that the doctors have found a new metastasizing tumor. And shortly after, an evil genius specializes in cloning is contacted by an old colleague asking if a suitable heart couldn't be grown for the young fan with a congenital heart condition who needs a donor. Suddenly, a pattern of villains offering and marketing their insights and resources to improve medical science starts to arise. Many who had been previously operating on society's fringes are shocked to receive public accolades, research grants, and job offers from major companies because of their work. A grassroots movement arises advocating for imprisoned villains with appropriate qualifications and are experienced to have access to resources to conduct research for the public good. The Second Chance Rehabilitation Project launches. It is an open secret that only people who have been vetted by the Villain Wrangler are allowed to join. Because the Villain Wrangler has, by now, a meticulously set up method and intelligent network to run background checks and character references through ensuring that none of the children wishing to meet their role models get hurt. Being able to say that one is involved with the project begins to look really good in parole hearings. The villains involved perform their own quality checks on one another, because if one of the kids got hurt, then all of their kids could potentially lose out. And the ones that are serious about the project are not having that. Also, the ability to collaborate with other geniuses is the most interesting thing to happen to most of them since losing to various heroes, and... Most consider the intellectual stimulation to be worth putting up with the ridiculous egos and inevitable personality clashes that arise. Reformed villains come out of the woodwork to advocate about better, better mental health care and support systems. Savvy universities and private labs quietly take their advice, 
same way up better mental health supports and laboratory safety standards to prevent brain drain caused by losing their less stable scientists to the costumes. The villain wrangler watches all this develop with a smile. Their plan succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Final contribution. Okay, this part caught my attention. The villain wrangler has by now meticulously set up method and intelligence network to ensure that none of the children get hurt, which led me to the heartbreaking realization that one did get hurt, and that is by the villain they idolized. And all I can think is that the villain wrangler didn't call in the heroes. They didn't call in another heart of gold villain. No, the villain wrangler rolled up their sleeves and went after this person themselves. This project is their baby after all, and if they get the accolades for the success, they must also shoulder the burden of the failures. The villain wrangler hunts down the villain that crossed the line. Their punishment is swift and horrifying. No hero would have the stomach to mete out justice in such a way, and no villain would have the desire to get quite that much blood on their own hands. And there's so much blood. The villain wrangler never forgets. They increase security, increase the hours and background checks, they increase the graveside visits to the child they failed. Just the one. But one is one too many. End note. It's interesting to try and figure out how to actually read these things, because this is a thread of like five or six discrete contributions that sort of wend and weave and build upon each other and sometimes dovetail seamlessly and sometimes have kind of like an awkward ramble at the beginning. Um, so I'm exploring just kind of reading them and if there's like kind of like a more significant disjunct I'll put some sort of muttered line break or something in there to see see if that makes it less jarring. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting audio challenge. Anyway, I hope you like this. It's tonally all over the place, but ultimately I find it very sweet and optimistic um, in its thoughts about, you know, villains and hero universes and the implications of the stories.